uh, continuing our series in Hebrews and uh, encourage you, you, you have the passage in the worship guide. There are also Bibles spread around. Those are there for you. If you want to look at broader context or other passages, we're on page 1007 in those Bibles. And if you need a Bible, please feel free to take one of those with you. They're, um, they're there for your benefit. Um, I feel like uh, I've talked with a number of people about uh, Easter, and I even talked about on Easter Sunday, just enjoying all the things that we do around Easter. And so uh, that's the case for a number of other folks. And I personally uh, have a, a little bit of, a, uh, of an Easter letdown following that, right? Like, oh, we're just back into the normal stuff, right? Uh, just the, the everyday um, ups and downs of life. Uh, and sometimes those things are e- even more uh, in our face than, than that kind of Easter letdown. And an example of that, uh, in a very profound way, actually, uh, is, is Bryce and his experience. Bryce leading in worship this morning, uh, his experience of Easter week. He was here, uh, he and Abby worshiping with us on Easter Sunday uh, with uh, his mom and stepdad and uh, and. And then that afternoon found out that his dad passed away uh, from a stroke. And that week, lamenting and mourning and having a funeral and thinking about planning those logistics and Bryce led the graveside service and thinking about those details and all of that. And, and, and it's the reality of death and the pain of that, right? So gathered with family to mourn and lament the loss of his father. And then gathering again with those same siblings a few days later on that Saturday when one of his sisters got married. Uh, opportunity to celebrate and rejoice. And in addition to that, uh, being able to tell people that we, that they are expecting, that their family, a child, that is, they're expecting a child. Uh, and, um, and they're excited about life, right? I mean, what a, a picture of the mix of the joy and the lamenting that we experience from one moment to the next. And we experience that in all of life, but certainly in our spiritual life, we have the, 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 the beautiful and the good things, and we have the really difficult things. And we're called to, in the midst of that, in the words from the writer here in Hebrews, we're called to two things in the midst of that. Because he recognizes that there's a danger that these Christians, these Jewish Christians, will turn away from Jesus and they'll turn to something else. And for them, it was, it was turning to the old Levitical uh, and sacrificial system. But for us, it might be other things that we're tempted to turn away from. And, and he recognizes, even in this very passage, that there is a mix of things that we experience. Uh, there is faith, hope, love, being enlightened, Joy, all talked about in this passage, as well as judgment, afflictions, struggles, suffering. You know, really hard section here in the middle, verse 26 through 31 of, of judgment, right? Like we, we, we struggle with how to think about uh, these things and how to approach them. And the call here is to hold fast and draw near. Those are the two points of the sermon this morning. Hold fast and draw near. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to your truth, that we would hold fast to the confession, that we have confessed the truth of what we believe about the good news of Jesus and his work in our lives, and that we would draw near to him, that he might be present in our lives. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The, the first point here is there's this call to hold fast, verse 23. And he notes that it's to the confession. If we look at verse 23, it's hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. The confession is the truth of what, what they believe about Jesus, about God, about who they are. This is all of the stuff that, that the writer here has been talking about for these last 10 chapters, that Jesus is better, that he offers a once-for-all sacrifice, that he offers forgiveness of sins, that he offers access to the Father. Hold fast to that truth because he recognizes there is a temptation not to, to turn to other things. And so we find this really difficult section, verse 26 through 31, there is a warning, uh, a heavy, heavy warning about turning away, about judgment, about punishment, verse 29, about God being a God of vengeance, verse 30, about being fearful in verse 31 because of the judgment of God that might come. That ultimately there might be, as it says in verse 26, this moment where there no longer remains the sacrifice for sin. This is a really strong warning. And and you know, it would be easier to just have skipped this passage because it's not very comfortable. And the reality is there there are a lot of these passages in scripture that sometimes aren't that comfortable. And and yet the writer of Hebrews and the the writers of Many of the books in the Bible, they say there are some truths that are difficult to deal with, but we need to engage those and we need to step into them. What, what, what is going on here? What, what is the warning? What, what should we potentially be concerned about? What, what would lead to the punishment or vengeance or judgment that comes from God? I think it's pretty clearly covered in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth... There's a difference here of, of just the fact that we're all broken and sinful and that we will continue to make mistakes as long as we walk on this earth until Jesus returns and makes all things right. There's a difference in that and a decision to say, here's what is true revealed from the word of God and I'm going to do something different. That, that I'm going to go on sinning deliberately. It doesn't matter what the Bible says or what uh, the people this is all happening in the context of the people of God. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But it doesn't matter what the people of God, what the church, what the, those around me say, and what the Bible says. I'm going to go on and I'm going to sin deliberately. It doesn't matter. This is the thing that I'm going to pursue. That is very different from finding ourselves in a position where we all are, that we are sinners and broken and that we will make mistakes. But we repent and we turn we want to honor God and we want to walk with others in order to be able to do that. And so if we're in this question, are, are we in danger of falling in this category? The question becomes, are we openly repenting? Are we looking to our brothers and sisters to help us walk in, in the truth? Are we seeking repentance in our lives? That is a very significant challenge. And so he recognizes this is a danger. There are already some who are beginning to neglect their salvation. I think it's also helpful for us to note, as uncomfortable as it might be, that this is a passage, just highlight the obvious, this is a passage in the New Testament. So this is not a, a, a wrathful God of the Old Testament, a loving God in the New Testament. Uh, he is, in reality, both 
wrathful and loving and gracious in the Old and the New Testament. It's all one story. In, in fact, if we look at verse 29, what the writer is saying here is that his wrath, his judgment is maybe even stronger. How much worse the punishment do you think, after having talked about what goes on with Moses, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? So, to be clear, there's an incredibly strong warning here, and we would make a mistake not to step into that reality and to, to deal with it as people, as individuals, to, to test our hearts and our experience, that we would ask where we might fall in these. And, and, and then ultimately ask this question, is this real? Is it true? Because this is not what our culture tells us, right? And, it, and it's what maybe even a lot of churches, they wouldn't tell us this or they would ignore it or move passive. But the question is, one, are there spiritual realities that exist in the world? Are these, as, as revealed in the scripture, are these the spiritual realities that are, are true? Or, or if there are spiritual realities in the world, you know, are these the ones that we would create? Probably not. Uh, and we want to be in control, and yet we find something reminding us again and again that we're not in control. We're the creatures. We're not the creator. But ultimately, the question is, is this true? Or to talk about these things, is, are we just being fear mongers? Are we trying to manipulate people with fear? Is that, is that what's happening? Is, am I, as a pastor, trying to manipulate with fear by preaching on these words. The question again is, is it true? Uh, the barbers will soon move in essentially across the street from us. And imagine if a neighbor, uh, an uh, unnamed neighbor, uh, it's not the Pumphreys, uh, they bring them some cookies as a welcome gift, right? They bring them some cookies and they, they give them these cookies. And then I learned not long after that, I, I happened to be with those other neighbors and, and I learned that they accidentally for whatever reason, uh, poisoned the cookies. What? Yep, they poisoned the cookies. It's terrible, right? It's terrible. How could that happen? And so if I learn that and, and that neighbor's like, ah, I don't really want to go, I, I would run over to the barber's house and I would say, don't eat the cookies. They're poison. And, uh, of course, uh, Chloe and Danny would say, would say, you just don't want us to have these cookies. You just want to keep us from having these cookies. You're so mean. You're, you're a fear monger. Like, no, it, the reality is if they are actually poisoned cookies, I am doing the loving and right and good thing to say, don't eat the cookies. They have poison in them. And so the question becomes for us, is there a real warning here? Is it true? Does, does God give us direction and standards for our life because they matter and they're true? Or is it just something that we make up or try to scare people into living in a particular way? Well, the scripture, as we gather as Fountain Square Presbyterian Church, as the church gathers around the world, we, we come to, this is our foundation. And the question is, what does the word of God have for us? It absolutely is the truth. And we base everything that we do upon it. And then as a result, we're invited to, to follow it. And to experience the, the blessing of what is offered in light of the warning, even right after the warning in verse 32, it is, but, there's this word, but. Because there, there's more to the story than just the warning, right? That is the gospel, the good news, 
that comes in light of the bad news. The bad news is that we are more sinful and depraved than we ever dared believe. It's not good news, and there's consequences as a result of that. That is this warning. And yet, the second half of the gospel statement is that we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. That is what is on offer. And so the invitation then is to not only hold fast, to to avoid what is being warned against, but it is to draw near. And this is one of the ways that we actually are able to hold fast, to draw near. What is, what is going on here? What is the idea of drawing near? Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full, and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Draw near to God. There is this picture, because it's been explained in the, the verses previously, and even in the passages previously, is that what is on offer is being allowed into the presence of God, being allowed into relationship with him. That God says continually, this is the story, this is the theme that is throughout the Bible. We, we have, it's really interesting, we have not, this is the way the Bible works, we, we did not plan at all our Sunday school to, to fall in line and be in conjunction with the, the sermon series. And yet every week, the, the Sunday school has direct application to the things that I'm preaching. And one of the things that uh, Dan noted this morning, talking about uh, the presence of God, last week looking back at the, uh, at the garden, the presence of God in the garden before the fall, then the presence of God in the tabernacle, and this week the presence of God in the temple, that there is this theme throughout the whole Bible, that is about God wanting relationship with his people. And so the statement, I will be with you, is is really significant and powerful in light of all of the Old Testament. It's more than just like, oh, this nice little feeling, God's, you know, I I feel this spiritual presence. No, it is the God of the universe saying, I will be in relationship with you. And, And as the writer here is talking about There's a lot that goes into that. This whole sacrificial system was set up in order that they might have access to God, that they might have access into the the tabernacle in the temple, the holy of holies, which represented the presence of God. But they had a separation that is no longer the case when Jesus comes. There's one sacrifice for all. They didn't need to be regular sacrifices. And all of us are drawn directly into the holy of holies, into the presence of God. And so the, this fuller picture of the experience in the presence of God is just a fulfillment of this Old Testament promise that God says, I will be with you. And he promises it to his people again and again. And there's a list of verses that, that Dan gave this morning of the promise to Abraham. I will, be, I will be with you. And Isaac and Jacob and then Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Gideon and Boaz and Saul and David and Solomon and Jeremiah and Haggai and then Mary and then Paul and then us. And God will be with us so that we can draw near to him because what is on offer is just that relationship with him that he will be with us, that we will have that opportunity. That is what is on offer, this relationship with our creator. And so As we think about it, we think about this is what is true now. Drawing near, we draw near because of what we know to be true now. 
He also invites them to remember what has been true in their experience and then also to look forward to what will be true. So this is true now. Therefore, brothers, verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. The holy places, that is where God is, where he resides. And we have confidence to enter into his presence. This is what is true now. This is what the writer of Hebrews has been saying again and again and again. This is on offer. Relationship with him is on offer. Come into his presence. Draw near through the curtain. That thing that used to divide, that in Matthew 27, at the death of Jesus, was ripped open. That has been ripped open so that we might have access to him. So that we might have Faith, verse 22. Hope, verse 23. Love, verse 24. That we would move forward with this kind of relationship with him, with faith, hope, and love. That we would actually be able to spend time with him. We would have access to him. This is that invitation that we have. You probably have heard some similar illustration to this. Imagine if I told you about, some of you have met my dad, but uh, you, not many have spent a lot of time with him. Uh, but imagine I told you information about my dad, how old he is, what he's done, where he lives, all these kind of things. You, you would have some kind of understanding of him, but to really know him and experience him, you would want to spend time with him. That's the way relationships work, right? And, and so we can sometimes just hear information about God, but what we're invited into is experience of relationship with him. We draw near to him. There's an invitation to actually be in relationship with him. What does that look like? How do we actually do that? Well, the Bible also gives us a lot of truth and revelation about that, that, that we experience him with one another. That's a pretty significant way that we actually experience him. We see this in verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, that there is this reality that we do this together. And then we see in other parts of scripture that that gathering together is with the body of Christ, because we're a part of the body of Christ. That the body, as we've talked about before, that is Christ. He is his body. There's this mysterious connection between the church, what is described continually in the scripture as the body of Christ, and Christ himself. So we experience him together, but we experience him in his word. He has revealed himself in his word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then it became flesh, verse 14 of John 1, and dwelt among us. But the word, there is then, again, a mysterious connection between the scripture between this that we have in, in front of us and God himself. And we have prayer that we're invited into in relationship with him. And so I, I ask a question, what would it look like to draw near to God just a, a little bit more? What would, be, what would be a step that you could take to draw near to God? Whether that's with the people of God coming uh, being committed to Sunday morning. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to the choir a little bit here. You're all here on Sunday morning, worshiping God together, right? But uh, prioritizing this, uh, maybe it's connecting with the community and community groups in another place. Maybe it's, I'm going to read the Bible in a more uh, thoughtful or intentional way. And, and we have out there on the table as you leave the, the daily prayer plans 
And it, it just, if you don't know where to start, it gives you some prayers to pray and some scripture to read. It's a, it's a place to start. Um, what would be a step that you could take to draw near to God? Because of what is true now. In this recognition that things are really difficult for them, that there are these struggles and these sufferings, there, there is a recognition that the writer has of there, there might be even more encouragement that he needs to, to give them in order that they might draw near and hold fast. And so he reminds them of what has been true. So it's not only what is true now, the confidence that they have because of all these things that he's revealed already, but what has been true in the past. Verse 32, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. So things were difficult then, and yet what happened, even in the, in the midst of the affliction and the reproach, in verse 33, there was a, a joyfulness. A joyfulness, in verse 34, that came as they were experiencing the plundering of their property. So he's reminding them, this was your joyful and beautiful experience. Things were not going well. And yet you experience the joy of the enlightenment that you'd already had of stepping into these truths. Remember that reality. Remember your relationship with the Lord. Remember what has already happened. And we're invited into that same thing. We're invited to remember how we came to faith. We're invited to remember how we have experienced the Lord and his blessings in our lives. Uh, I I had the, the, the great experience last summer, we, in different places, in different ways, connected with a number of folks from our college experience. And, and we did have this really, really beautiful uh, college experience, uh, both just in relationship and with the Lord and the way that he worked through the ministry that we were involved with and the uh, kinds of connections and relationships we had as a result in the Lord. And so, as we get together with these different friends, it was super fun to remember a lot of past stories, right? To reminisce. And, and, and then as a result, to, to feel uh, the bonds that we have over those years grow. That's one of the ways that we reconnect with friends, right? But it's also the way that we experience current relationships. Uh, we love the fact that we have been here longer than anywhere else married. We've been here over 10 years now. And it's super fun to remember experiences that we've had with different folks here uh, in Indy and, and to talk about some of those experiences that we've had, right? To make new experiences as well and to talk about those. But, but that's one of the ways that we experience relationship, right? We remember things that we've experienced together and that, that builds that relationship. That's what we're invited to here so that we wouldn't throw away this trust in Jesus and this Remembering that, that he is better. Again, the writer here reminds us that this is something that we do together. It's not just, this is not just an individual thing. So we don't only have verses 24 and 25, these kind of quintessential verses for don't walk away from the, the church and the people of God. This is not something we do alone. It's just, all, it's, it's just baked into all of Scripture. This is something we do together. So in verses 33 and 34, we find that this was something they experienced with one another. Sometimes you were being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and he's talking to the group here, but sometimes being partners with those so treated. So there's this partnership, there's this connection, there's this relationship, verse 34, and then you had compassion on those in prison. 
So there, there's this relational connection you have with others. You're, you're doing this together. Remember the experience that you had as the people of God together. This is something that we have to experience with one another. Remember God's work in our lives. And there, there are times as well, one of the things that the scripture does is, is it allows us to remember others' stories. God's story in the lives of others. And sometimes we need those reminders. You can have that experience in the body of Christ. So you can hear of God's work in the lives of your brothers and sisters and be encouraged. But you can also come to the word of God and hear about the experience of those that have gone before us. Sometimes long ago, actually, in the next chapter, we're going to get into exactly that. The, the stories, the many that lived by faith throughout the Old Testament. There's, there is a testimony to remembering what God has done in the lives of his people. But then not only do we remember what is true now and what has been true so that we might draw near, we, we remember and remind ourselves of what will be true. That's what he's inviting them to do. Verse 35, do not throw away your confidence to draw near into the presence of God, to be in relationship with him, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. There is this, this picture of a great reward in what is promised. And there's something beautiful about what is to come. If we remember back just to the Easter passage, the one that I, that I preached from 2 Corinthians, they're experiencing, the Hebrews are experiencing something really difficult, as Paul had in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There are better things to come. This is, this is in this Easter season, remembering the promise of the resurrection, your resurrection and mine. This promise that as we now are invited to draw near to God, one day we will walk with him in the streets of the new heaven and the new earth and have uh, even a fuller relationship with him, even a fuller way of drawing near to him, where we will physically draw near to Jesus, the one who is better. That is the promise of the resurrection. That is the hope of what we have to look forward to, and that is why we draw near now. It's looking forward. It is certainly drawing near now because there's a beautiful experience of him now, but it's also looking forward to what is to come. This is the way that we experience relationships here. Yeah, when Stephanie and I first started dating, there was absolutely something about spending time with her that was about enjoying the moment, enjoying the, the relationship in that moment. But it also pretty quickly became this enjoying spending time together, looking to what was to come, thinking about a life together, thinking about having a family together, thinking about doing we talked about doing ministry together and where we might live and all these kind of things. It became not only about just the moment, it became looking forward. That's what relationships are, and that's, what they, that's how we engage in those relationships. It's how we draw near to one another. And certainly in our relationship with the Lord, this drawing near is about actual intimacy with God. And it is in light of what is to come, that reward, that thing that is promised, that resurrection that is to come, that is on offer for, for you and for me. So that even in the midst of struggle and suffering and in, in the plundering of the property, which we 
have not experienced. Maybe some of us have experienced the, this idea of, of reproach for believing things that some people think are crazy, right? That will continue to happen, and who knows what we'll experience uh, as followers of Jesus, but we'll, we'll have struggles in all kinds of ways, and yet the invitation is to draw near to him, to hold fast because of the reward and the promises that he offers us. These are beautiful promises that we might draw near to relationship with him in order to find those and experience the blessing of our father, of our creator, that Jesus is better than everything else on offer. Let's pray.